And welcome to Trenton 365, right? I'm taking over Jacques' show. I am. Uh, wow. I don't even know how to introduce you, Jacques, on your own show. I really don't. So let me do this. You're listening to the three-time Stellar Award winning station, 1300 WIMG, and you're watching on WPHY. Across from me is a person that I just met two days ago. <laughs> and in the two days that I've known him, I've gotten to know a lot about him. <laughs> no. I have known you, Jacques, for, oh my goodness, it's been quite a few years now. Yeah, you know, it's actually, uh, first of all, thanks um, for everything that you do. And I always like to give you credit because you're the first, you're the one who got me into this whole radio TV thing. So kudos what to you. What was I thinking? I have no idea. I don't either. Okay. All right. Yeah. But it's been, what, six years? It's been at least that. Yeah, it's been at least that. It's been a, an amazing, uh, amazing journey, uh, peaks and valleys, but it's been super rewarding. And uh, I wouldn't change anything. Well, I don't know about that. but Jacques, you're in a lot. Mm -hmm. A whole, whole lot. I know that people might say every time she talked to him, she always talk about the library boxes. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to keep talking about them because I believe that it's important. And I was doing an interview before, and I said one of the things that struck a nerve with me was a joke. And the joke came from a black person. And it was the worst joke ever. And people laughed about it. And I chuckled, but I don't know if I chuckled out of anger or what. But the joke was... I said, oh, well, I didn't know that. And the guy said, well, it was in a book. And you want to know the best way to keep a secret from a black person? Put it in a book. Yeah, um, I have heard that and uh, some other words added in there. Yeah, it was I, I did, gave you the clean version. Yes, you did. And thank you for doing that. But yeah, that's, um, that's like the misnomer um, about people of color, especially African-Americans. And uh, it's a shame that a lot of the negative perspectives are also from African-Americans about other African-Americans. Yes. I think that's the worst thing um, is we fought so hard to gain respect. And I'm starting from slavery days because when African-Americans was brought over, they were brought over as slaves. Um, so it was a lot to get to the point where we had respect. So it's very hurtful when I see that we're not respecting each other. And and so it, it irked me, that, that thing irked me. And I was young when I heard it. And I never had something that made me so angry. Mm -hmm. And when I was done chuckling, my mom said, that was a different laugh. And I was like, because they'll never hide nothing from me. And that's when I began to read mm -hmm. a lot, a whole lot. And within one year, my reading level went from, I was in the fifth grade on a third grade reading level. And Mr. Stansberry kept me back. I, ironically, we share the same last name mm -hmm. now because mm -hmm. I married his, my ex-husband. Let me, let me make, before anybody said, Vini, you married? No. My ex-husband is his um, great nephew. So anyway... Mr. Stansberry told my mother that my reading level was below par. 
Now, I'm in the fifth grade, but I'm reading on the third grade level. How in the world did they pass me grades one through five the first time? So, I said, all right, she wanted me to, he wanted me to go to Sunday summer school, and I didn't go. That summer's when I heard that joke. Mm. That summer till the end of the school year, when I graduated, well, left fifth grade, not only was I on a sixth grade reading level, I was on an eighth grade reading level. Because I was determined that they weren't going to hide nothing from me. Mm-hmm. My boys are the same way. Uh, Kevin has dyslexia, but he overcame it. He transposed words. And so the more he read, the better he was able to work on his dyslexia with keys, tricks. But I told them the joke. And my youngest son now reads everything. My middle son, they read it. They read directions. They want to make sure. So the library boxes are important to me because I do not want another child of color to ever hear that joke and think it's okay. So this is why every time I talk to you, I'm going to talk to you about them library boxes mm-hmm. because they're important. Talk to us about the library box. Sure. So uh, I guess it was maybe uh, four years ago. Um, the city of Trenton, the previous administration, uh, through budgetary cuts, they had to close down the f- close down four libraries. So that left the whole city of Trenton with one library. Um, there are other municipalities that only have one library, and, and it functions fine. Um, Ewing is like that. Uh, Lawrence. But they're not as Hope big Long. as Trenton. They're not. They're not. Um, in addition to that, I mean, Trenton's population is approximately 80,000 or so. And when you think about how um, the city is laid out, the less than seven and a half square miles, it would be difficult for someone who would have to take public transportation to get to the library. So my thought was, well, what can I do as an individual? So I started to do some research, and there's a a nonprofit organization that's nationally known, uh, Little Free Libraries. And I love the concept and the idea. However, I couldn't see... And I couldn't afford to pay for those boxes that they were selling. So I said, okay, well, I'm pretty resourceful, DIY type, do it yourself. So um, I said, okay, let me see what I can do to facilitate this project or this idea right here with what I have. And lo and behold, um, downtown Trenton, there were dozens of old newspaper boxes, some metal, some plastic um, some of the organizations that put them in place were now not in business anymore. So they, so they were literally abandoned. So I spoke with uh, the Trenton Downtown Association and asked, said, can I have them? And he said, sure, come get them. We'll even help you get them off the street. So the Trenton Downtown Association provided the actual boxes. Um, the I Am Trenton Foundation, uh, Classics Books and Gifts, George Zenowitz Signs, and Franklin Park's Northeast Block Association, where I live, were the early partners for this. So once I got the boxes, I'm, as you know, I'm very connected to the arts community here in Trenton. And I said, how cool would it be if these boxes were turned into public art pieces? And I was able to secure some funding through Prometheus Publishing, Bart Jackson, his, uh, his publishing company, uh, his He's a uh, title of his radio show is Art of the CEO, and we secure I secure some funding from from Prometheus Publishing, 
And we were able to pay approximately 15 artists to decorate these boxes the way that they wanted to. Uh, the project is an adoption model, meaning you're going to get the box for free. You just agree to these set of rules. Basic things. You put it, put it in a public area, make sure it's cleaned, make sure it's stocked at all times, and be willing to come on to the Trenton 365 show and talk about your experience. And uh, that's where we are now. Um, the idea has been growing quite a bit. I just delivered another box to the Mill Hill section of Trenton, New Jersey. So a shout out to Judy Winkler, um, who is going to be uh, adopting that box. And it's actually, um, I, was, uh, I was contacted by a family from Washington Crossing, which is about 20 minutes from here. And they love the concept and the idea as well. So they're going to be adopting a box also. So this project will be expanding outside of the city of Trenton, which is awesome. Um, but the whole idea is that it will be focused on Trenton, New Jersey. You just said a lot. Yeah. You really did. Um, but you partnered with people that are trying to get back in the city. Why did you do that? I mean, <coughs> you could have wrote grants, and I'm just being Vini, mm -hmm. but you could have wrote grants, you're a little intelligent. Yes, a, I, little, a, bit. Little, a bit. little bit. Neither. We're not, mm -mm, your head can't get big. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. So I will not tell you your intelligence Thank to you. your face. Okay. Other people I might say, you know, Jacques is pretty smart. Just don't tell him I said so. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. But you could have wrote a grant and pay some of the artists. You could have tried to get big name artists. Um, and not saying that we don't have great big names here. Uh, I know the library box I wanted, you wouldn't let me have. That's okay, because the, the, one of the groups that helped give you money wanted that box, so they got it. And uh, that's fine. I, I took that on the chin. Mm -hmm. But you could have went after artists art, like these huge name artist that's going to charge you thousands and thousands of dollars but instead you decided let me get the great artists that we have here in the city why mm -hmm. so my background is working in, in finance and then also working in fashion as well um, two things that I learned about those industries it's the marketplace and what the marketplace dictates and also how do you create a marketplace so here in Trenton, which is a, typical of most post-industrial cities, we've got a very strong, vibrant arts community. And I'm fortunate enough to be friends with many of them. And um, since I'm friends with them, it was, it was easy for me to direct attention to the work that they're doing, the fabulous work that they're doing, and to be able to pay them. Um, so it was, really, it was really just that simple. They were my friends. I had an ability to get some funds and to pay them what they would be accepted of, accepting of having. And most of them are from Triton or call Triton home in some capacity. I just thought it was amazing the um, different artists that I saw there. And I did go and I picked out my box. You asked, no, actually, the one I picked out, you said no, mm -hmm. but you delivered. I was like, Jacques, I can't. You just have to deliver the box. So you delivered the box and it was one you did. Yeah, so um, I am I'm a bit reluctant to talk about the uh, what I do or and even categorize it in art because I have so much respect for artists. Um, I use art as a um, how do I say it's a therapy. It's an opportunity for me to kind of decompress, 
laugh, cry, do whatever it is while I'm making art. Um, so my intention was to, the boxes that I've done, the two, three that I've done, they were the first ones done pretty much as a trial. Um, so Franklin Parks Northeast Bach Association, where I live, adopted one. The Bethany House of Hospitality and WIMG. So that's basically three of my homes here in Trenton <laughs> having my boxes. But the cool thing about public art, and I've got to give a shout out to William Casso, uh, who's up in Vermont now. When I first met him and was talking to him about the work that he does and all the murals he's had, and I was like, you know, how does it feel when you do a mural and it gets painted over or the building gets knocked down? And he said, that's part of the graffiti culture. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. So I morphed that idea into this library box is painted today. Maybe tomorrow someone else will paint it. And that way it stays fresh and it keeps going. But the most important thing is that you have to document the work that you've done. You do. Let's talk about that. We have about three minutes. And most people won't put graffiti as art. I know when I used to come up back in the 80s, and I'm not ashamed of my age, so back in the 80s, I remember the tagging. People would just tag, and it wasn't good. It was just scribbling. And then I saw murals, and the man said, but this is graffiti. And I'm like, no, graffiti is tagging. So when we come back, I want to talk about the difference between tagging and graffiti as an art because uh, back in the 80s is when they had the pictures and people would have them all over their clothes and they jack I know because I thought I was cool and and I had some of that um, but I'd never I always thought that was art and it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I heard people say no honey that's graffiti hmm. I was like hmm so we're going to talk about that when we come back alright sure you're listening to in the public no Trenton 365 with Jacques Howard. <laughs> I'm Vaney sitting there for him, and he is on the other side, Mr. Jock Howard himself. We'll be right back. <laughs> WIMG is the place that makes you laugh, makes you think, and the people that I work with do the same. They make you laugh, they make you think, um, and just now you heard us laughing. If you... <laughs> Jacques Howard is funny off the camera, y'all. I'm trying to tell you. He really is. But this is Trenton 365. And I am your sub-host for Jacques Howard, who's on the other side. I'm you giving you that? a thumbs up. Too. Oh, I thought I thought your other guest was here. No. Oh. Yeah? No. Oh. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 365. And we're excited about that. We really are. So I have about eight more minutes to talk to you. And within this eight minutes, I want you to explain the difference between graffiti and art graffiti. Mm. Like tagging, me writing my name, Vini, tagging it, or the pretty murals that you see that's graffiti. Okay, so um, first of all, I don't know if I am qualified to talk about that. Um, I can share the information that's been told to me over the years. Okay. Um, I would encourage folks to uh, check out a book called The Birth of Graffiti. Um, that book uh, was done by photographer John Narr, who is a 90-plus-year-old former spy who lives here in Trenton, New Jersey, who documented graffiti in the 70s and 80s. And his book, 
the birth of graffiti is considered the Bible, air quotes, of graffiti. In addition to that, um, Leon Rainbow, um, on one of my previous interviews with him, he was very clear about tagging being a portion of what the graffiti scene is. Mural arts, um, doing work on vehicles and, and other non-traditional mediums is also part of the graffiti scene. Okay. But um, I, I personally feel as though I'm not qualified to, to give you all the details. But there's plenty of amazing people. Leon Rainbow, Carrie Maurice Counts. Well, that was enough. That okay. was because um, you. what it was was it clear that there's different parts mm -hmm. of graffiti. Just like when you're listening to gospel music. Mm -hmm. There's so many different parts to gospel music that you're like, okay... All right, there's traditional, there's gospel rap, there's contemporary, mm -hmm. but it all makes up gospel music. So what you're just saying is there's different parts of it. Mm -hmm. All right, another big thing that you like to do is give back with the church that you belong to. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your the church that you attend, your multicultural, phenomenal pastor, Pastor Karen Hernandez Grands in uh, Westminster really is uh, the poster child for what a multicultural, multi-ethical church looks like. Hmm. Yeah, so um, first of all, um, shout out to Pastor Karen Hernandez Granson, um, senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church, where my family and I worship. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so we worship Presbyterian. Um, so there's a very much a hierarchy. And most people don't realize that that's how our governmental structure is. So the president in our government can't just make a decision and it happen. Right. Well, it's the same way in the Presbyterian congregation. The senior pastor can make suggestions, but the elders who act like the Senate and the deacons who act like the House of Representatives, they have some say in what takes place. It just so happens that the leadership and the congregation itself located in the Wilbur section of Trenton, which is a challenging area, a challenged area, has committed to being actively involved in a community where the church is. So when we have events, we put those events together because they're the one, they are going to benefit the people in the community right there. And I think that when we think about the Christian faith and acting like Christ-like or doing what Christ would do, we've got to start thinking more about our neighbors exactly where we are and uh, that's something that we do at Westminster, and, and I'm, I'm proud to attend there. Um, for a long time, I did double duties on Sundays. I would go to Central, which was in Ewing, and then go and do the more late mornings at Westminster. And uh, through the blessing of uh, both pastors, we had a conversation, and we transferred our membership over um, to Westminster, and it's been a blessing ever since. We. We. Me, my, me and my family, my okay. wife and my daughter. That's yeah. right. Give that's them it. a shout-out because... It takes a special, first of all, it takes a special woman to deal with you on a daily basis. Um, you know, she's phenomenal for doing that. But it takes a one-of-a-kind person to really understand everything you're trying to do in a community and not give you backlash. Mm. Because I, I'm being honest, if this was Vini 15 years ago, 
I would be like, no, Jacques, you're out there doing something. Like, you can't be in the middle of the community like this. You got to be in the middle of doing something. I don't trust you. Now, Vini now understands the difference. But your wife has been supportive of you doing oh, yeah. things from day one. Yeah, shout out to uh, Vanessa, my wife, and my daughter, Madeline. They, um, they're extremely supportive. And it goes um, all, all three ways. We're all very supportive of each other. Um, but oftentimes, like, and I'm speaking from my own perspective, I get involved in things not even knowing that I'm really getting into them because I try to live my life in such a spiritual way where I'm just kind of weaving myself through this universe and trying to keep the principles and ideologies of doing the right thing, being a good person, treating people fairly the way I want to be treated. And that takes me all these different places. Now, um, I like to talk about when, um, when I was in junior high school and I had a meeting with a guidance counselor who gave me a sheet of paper and said, hey, here's like five things you have to pick one of those things that you want to do for the rest of your life. That was a common practice back in the 80s. And, and when I think about that, I say, well, I couldn't do that now as an adult. Now, it's taken me to adulthood to realize that that is the absolute worst thing you can do for a young person is to put them in a box. So now that I'm an adult, I am literally trying to do the best that I can and being driven by the spirit to do all the to, to do a lot of different things that are appear to be eclectic or peculiar. But the intent is that I'm working for a higher cause. Like I'm working to better the community where I am, my neighborhood. Um, and when I say community, uh, I like to tell folks that's anywhere that I can connect with someone. That's my community. So if someone is in the outback in Australia and an issue resonates with me, then that's my community, and I need to do my part to rectify that. Hmm. Well, a big shout out there, and I wanted For you real. to uh, acknowledge that because a lot of times we see Jacques, but we forget about Jacques' support system that's at home. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I encourage anyone who does anything publicly like what I do um, to make sure that you have a support system because there are lots of peaks and valleys it's up and down um, most times people see someone who's ambitious or outspoken or an extrovert and thinks oh well they're always happy they're always in a good mood no it doesn't work that way and um, I'm very fortunate I, th I think the longevity of our friendship and our relationship is what's gotten us through this. I mean, we met when I was 15 years old. So, you know, you're talking, we've been together in a relationship for over 30 years. Wow. Yeah. She dealt with you that long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like to joke around and say that um, she might be at the point where she's willing to pay somebody to take me to go away. <laughs> but that's good, though. I'm, I'm uh, happy about that. You said a word. And I like to always break things down for my grandchildren to understand it. So you said um, people might see you as, a, what did you call yourself? Well, peculiar? No. Um, eclectic? No. Extrovert? Oh, an extrovert, okay. So you said that you are an extrovert. And what's funny is it took me a long time to understand what that is, right? And most people think that I am. But believe it or not, I'm really an introvert. Like, I have such a small circle of people that know 
particular things about me, even though I am very outgoing. But these are words and terms that people may not on an ordinary know. So explain what an extrovert is. Hmm. Well, instead of trying to go through a definition like a Webster's dictionary. Yeah, no, give it a job so, dictionary. So, so an extrovert, uh, how I describe it for myself, is someone who is comfortable in settings where I'm meeting people who I don't know. I am I'm out meeting people who are um, in situations and in settings that through everyday life I may not meet those people. So an ex an extrovert is a person who can communicate with others that they don't know and feel comfortable with doing it. Mm -hmm. They're outgoing. Mm -hmm. They're a lot of times they're outspoken. Uh, sometimes yeah, they yeah are. where are you going with that outspoken? I think you're going somewhere with that. Yeah, well, I am, and um, a lot of times they have uh, strong opinions that they will say loud, and and you know they not screaming it, but you understand that this is what it is, and then a lot of times they're the life of the party. Mm -hmm. They like to be in the center of stuff, so. With that being said, that is a lot of your characteristics. <laughs> you do enjoy, and it's not a bad thing, um, because I believe that um, in doing the work that you do, you need to have that type of personality. Mm -hmm. uh, in order for people to trust you and get along, you have to be. But you are very outspoken. And uh, one of the things that is talked about now is this knee situation not taking a knee talk to me about that well I was always taught to um, respect people of authority and authority um, and I grew up in an era where the president was one of the highest esteemed positions that you could have unfortunately um, the current president that we have has demonstrated an attitude and actions that in my short 40 plus years I have not seen in a president of the United States. I also believe that this type of behavior and the attitude and the actions, if this was done in other countries, we would have look upon those countries with a shaming eye. I think that our uh, Politicians could focus their attention on on some bigger issues. A lot bigger issues. Other than other than what's happening in the entertainment industry, because that's what professional sports is in entertainment. Mm -hmm. uh, I I'm also concerned about the idea that Colin Kaepernick had to bring light to a particular subject is now being watered down, and it's also being used in a political way very uh, we have about one minute what uh, if you can sum it up in one minute if not maybe you and your guests can talk about it but um, what was the point that Colin was trying to make when he took a knee he was trying to draw awareness 
to the social and racial injustices that are happening in the country. Um, with a focus on um, the police brutality or law enforcement issues. And um, I've actually reached out to his uh, team because I'd, I'd love to just hear what he has to say now at this point. Um, because I, I, I think that he was in a situation where he, had, he knew what his sacrifice was. And, and, and I know we're short on time, but I think now that He's taken those steps, and he's made those sacrifices. Now, it's being watered down. Okay. Well, you are listening to Trenton 365. I'm Beanie, sitting in for Jacques, who's actually on the other side, uh, speaking to you. We'll be right back. So, is he here? Oh, 